Hi everyone and welcome back to Edinburgh Film Podcast episode 29. In this episode I talk to one of our MSc students Elisa Tenegi and we discuss films and TV shows we've been watching over the lockdown period since March. We mentioned shows like Unorthodox, Dark, Normal People and films like The Hitchhiker, The Lunchbox, Emma and many others. Hi Elisa, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi Gad, I'm doing fine, thank you. <laughs> welcome back to the podcast. We had you on I mean, a while back, I think it was still it was, it was like what, last December, right? Oh, was it? I thought it was like February, but you're right. I think you're right. Because we were still on campus and obviously it's been a while yep. since that happened. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming back on. Um, it was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> thank you. And so today I think we're just going to be talking about what we've been watching basically during lockdown because it has been four months uh, we had so much time, supposedly, to watch all the things that we wanted. <laughs> so I'm just interested to see what you've been up to and like what you've been drawn to. Is there anything like, you know, extraordinary that you came across and you're like, wow, I never thought I'd watch this? Or yeah, in did you find that you wanted to watch more stuff, or was it that you felt more like, oh, I just don't have the headspace for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um, in fact, I just wanted to mention the fact that uh, lockdown has been like an immensely disruptive thing that happened like in everyone's life. But at the same time, being a kind of a movie geek, since I'm in film studies, and it was pretty good in some, res- in some respects because I finally had time to catch up with everything that I never had the time to watch. So yeah, let's start from something I've watched I've been watching a movie actually, uh, and that is um, Lil Can Can. Uh, I think it is pronounced that way, but well, you know, it's French, so I'm not really sure about that. Uh, but basically, this is like a TV film uh, or a very short mini series that Bruno Dumont uh, shot in 2014, and it came to like to the fore. Uh, only, I guess, some years afterwards, because like Cahiers uh, du Cinema, the, the magazine, inserted it in the, uh, in the list of the best picks of the decades for the years uh, between 2010 up to 2019. So that was really something. I mean, <laughs> uh, so I was really drawn to, to their series, especially because I've been watching other stuff by Dumont recently, for example, Slack Bay, or um, even 29 Palms, which is a hugely damaging movie for your psyche, but a very, very good film to watch. <laughs> uh, as usually, films by Dumont are, right? <laughs> so, yeah, this was very wholesome for me, since I'm a huge fan of David Lynch. Um, and he had that kind of Twin Peaks vibe, in a way, meaning that um, small town situation, uh, but at the same time, it's it's not David Lynch, of course, it's another director. And, and Duan really has this uh, this thing about him that he is really obsessed with the, the shape of the human body and especially of deformed bodies or like, you could say, non-conforming bodies in a way. Uh, and this really stands out in the Kankan. In fact, he uses actors which like who weren't even actors at the time, who really had like, you know, physical problems or, yeah. Uh, and that was actually a really uh, debated issues when like talking about the, the series because um, some voices were raised about the fact that maybe Dumont wasn't really entitled to do so, but then, you know, he treated them like actors and 
the fact that he chose that kind of people was 100% functional to, to the old aesthetic and representation in the series. So, like, mm -hmm. I, I like that choice of his. I like the way uh, he uses the, the body of his actors. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing that I love about him is that um, he has an obsession with the novel France, like the northern regions of France, um, and especially with the accent of people from those areas. So even if I knew a little more my French, let's say so, I wouldn't be able to understand that because they speak so fast and such a very like condensed dialect. Um, and it all ends up in the end to the deadpan atmosphere of his productions, and which is something that I really, I really love, I really enjoy seeing works by Dumont. It seems to me that you do have this kind of, like I remember when we spoke in December or whatever, uh, when we had you on last time and you, we were talking about Antichrist, right? And I remember being very much like, no, 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 get that away from me. Whereas you seem to be really navigate towards the kind of dark, you know, Twin Peaks, Antichrist, that kind of, you know, so, so it really makes sense that, you know, that this would be on your list. Um, yeah, I really, I really love to see like very daring piece of work in a way, whether it's a Fon Trier film or Bruno Dumont films are very daring as well. As is another film that I recently watched, and it's Kids, the 1995 movie, uh, which was not directed by Harmony Corinne, but which was written by him. And that was actually his first piece of script work. Like, he debuted with the, with the script for Kids. Uh, and the film was actually shot by Larry Clark, who was the director. And that, <laughs> and in my opinion, that is a, a very daring piece of work as well, because like the whole theme of the movie is following the day or maybe a couple of days, I can't really remember by now, but like short time span in the life of a group of New York, like very downtownish kids. And there's an issue with eight because it's, it's like set, uh, maybe not at the peak of the crisis, like in the actual 1980s, but maybe just, oh, <laughs> my phone just fell off. Maybe just like uh, slightly afterwards, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And basically, uh, I'm, I'm, telling this, um, I'm telling this because it, it's no spoiler in a way. Everything revolves around this fact. But one of the kids, I, I mean, properly kids, like 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, uh, so one of them tests positive uh, to HIV. And so there's this whole like thing, what am I going to do right now? Oh, but I just had sex one time. Oh yeah, that might happen to you as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very, it's, it's a very bold piece of narrative in my opinion, especially because it's so outspoken about something that you usually don't talk about maybe in everyday life or something that... Um, I don't know, maybe it isn't so nowadays, but I mean, if we, if we go back 20, 30 years, that's, that was pretty much intense issue to talk about. So yeah, yeah I, I really love the film. Uh, and it's a good, I think it's a good way to start approaching the works by Corinne as well, even mm -hmm. as a director, not only a screenwriter. I actually, um, actually watched, um, it's a series on Netflix called uh, Unorthodox. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's uh -huh. basically about an ultra orthodox family or kind of community rather in Williamsburg in New York. And it kind of reminds me of that kind of, you know, tackling a very serious issue that maybe not that many people talk about where, whether it's 
AIDS, HIV in the 80s, 90s, and, you know, something that's still around, or Orthodox people, you know, ultra-Orthodox people or communities that really take it to an extreme. And I think what was interesting about that series is that it follows a relatively young girl in her nine. I think she was like 19 years old who lives in this community Esti and then she decides to leave she has to run away basically and then she runs away to Berlin and you kind of I think the whole series is like four episodes each is like an hour long or something but it is such a journey like it's incredible how much you can cover of somebody's life in such a short amount of time and it was just an interesting insight into a community that I never really like thought existed. And I, what I liked about it is that it didn't really comment on the community. It wasn't trying to portray them as like the enemies of this world or anything like that. But actually it was just about focusing on someone who maybe was under so much pressure that they thought they couldn't cope with it anymore. And I don't want to like talk more about, especially the ending, because I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, because I think it's worth going through it. But I do like that it's, it really stands out as, as a piece of work that, is, that doesn't necessarily follow any of the you know, traditions. Of, and obviously it's not a film, so it kind of makes sense. But it does feel like a um, feature film. The, the way they kind of go back and forth between the present and the past, and they kind of bring up the past, and they just kind of, as you go through the show, the more you learn about the community, the different and kind of insane at times rules and everything and it just gets more intense as you go through it but i also love the fact that uh, there are some shows and i believe unorthodox is one of those shows that can really open up like doors for you in the real world as well so um i've always been interested in learning more about the, the jewish community and all its ramification and its wonderful wonderful culture uh, and historical background as well. As well. Um, but that was something that really opened up space for, like in my head, for something more to, to happen inside. Like, I want to know more about the community of Williamsburg now. I want to know mm -hmm. more about Orthodox Jews, not just like the Jewish culture. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was really refreshing, as you said, because, yeah. yeah. Okay, what else have you been up to? Well, talking of Netflix shows that are definitely binge-worthy, <laughs> I have to mention Dark for sure. I don't know if you have been following the show. No, no. no. Not. Okay. So last and third season of the show came out just this June, um, June 2020. And I rushed headlong into that because I've been following the series since it first came out, like 2017. Uh, and the project around that, like the pitch of the series is really great in my opinion. So the creators are German or better said, they, they were born in Switzerland basically. Uh, but then the, the series was developed in Germany. And that makes a huge lot of a difference, mind you. Like I'm not saying this because <laughs> I just want to say so, but yeah. Um, and, and it, Everything in the series takes place in this little, uh, it's, we can say it's a town, but I think it's more like a village in Germany, uh, which name is, is Winden. And, and the whole thing bursts up when suddenly um, a child whose name is Mikkel um, disappears. Um, and there are holes, like proper caves in the city. 
uh, where like waste from the local nuclear power central is, is stocked. And apparently he disappears in one of the caves. And so the, the, the whole plot unfolds on the line on, of tra time travel and how can time travel be possible. Um, but at the same time, it's a very emotional show in a good way. Um, I love the fact that the conversation in Germany is pretty minimalistic. Like, I, I, I know German, so my opinion might not count, but if someone doesn't know German and wants to try and watch the show in German, that would be an easy ride, I feel, because there's, there's no much variety of wording or dialogue. Uh, and this is something else I found really impressive about the show, because it's calibrated like drop by drop. They just put a tiny bit of information there, but then in a very uh, 360 degrees uh, way in the sense that that much information comes from the dialogue, then that much information come from the, um, comes from the uh, editing, and then there's other information that comes from the, the visual stuff of the series itself. Um, so that was quite a feat in my opinion, because like, especially when it comes to Netflix series, we, we all know nowadays that Netflix is able to make great series, but maybe also series that are quite conventional as well, which, which don't really uh, add anything to the, the old discourse about it. Um, and this was something, I wouldn't say groundbreaking, of course, because it wasn't groundbreaking, but at the same time, it was very enjoyable. Uh, for me to see uh, something that developed coherently over a span, time span of three years and then that got to an end because there's not going to be a fourth season of Dark and that's something that's really comforting to me. <laughs> I have, um, it, kind of, it kind of reminds me of normal people as well because that's on my list as well. Just in terms of what you were talking about, the mood and how it took you a while to kind of get out of it. But it's just a good, good example of how there's a story and you start somewhere and then you finish somewhere and that's the end of it. And you know that you're not going to get more. Um, but it was so real and beautifully, beautifully shot. But as I said, a lot of kind of triggering stuff going on. Um, very relatable, I think, for a lot of people, which is why I think it got so much praise and so there was so much discussion about it because it's about two people, two young people, growing up in a small town in Ireland who then decide to go to university and um, they're kind of on and off the whole time but to see them develop individually and kind of as you go through it your own expectations of who those characters are kind of change and you know there's so much of the kind of struggle that goes on when you are at that age which I can like I can remember as if it was, as if it was yesterday because it pretty much was where like I was like six years ago for me or seven years ago for me where when I moved to the UK and you kind of like you all of a sudden you can be a different person when you go to university and you can be yourself all of a sudden you're different and it's just an opportunity for a new start and then you kind of see how your personality really comes across whether you're shy whether you're an extrovert or an introvert how do you um, relate to the people all that kind of stuff which I think is like I really love shows and films about stuff like that because it's the it's so real and it's so raw and there's nothing kind of fantastical about it, you know, and you can make as many shows and films about it as, as you can, because it's all, it, it always, it's always relevant and it never goes out of like trend or anything. 
Anyway, what's next on your list? <laughs> like, what's next on my list? Oh, uh, I noticed that we both watched The Hitchhiker by yes. Ita Lupino. Yes. <laughs> that yes. was an amazing discovery. I mean, it wasn't a discovery because I've known about the film for ages, but I never got around to actually watch it. Mm-hmm. And then it was streaming a movie. I, I'm supposing that's where you found that. Yeah, yeah found yeah. that as well. Uh, with the double bill. I also watched The Bigger Mist. Oh, yes, yes. I think I watched, I want to say, at least one or two films by Lupino. And I can't remember which one. I don't know if it was Bigger Mist or something else. But I remember watching, because she was actually part of, I did the author course um, at uni when I was doing it. So she came up then. Otherwise, I don't think I would have known about her. And I was really intrigued and I really enjoyed the stuff that I've seen from her. Um, So seeing the double bill that Mubi did, I was like, this is great. Because I feel like her film is yeah first things first I really agree with you in saying that Lupino is quite an intriguing figure in the like directorial galaxy especially because like I mean The Hitchhiker came out in 1953 and it was directed by a woman and Mm. it's still one of the best noir ever made so who was Ida Lupino how come (laughs) (laughs) she she had the let's say she had the power or could, could she made her way through uh, through like all the, the patriarchy of the industry in the 50s and then get to, to like shoot this amazing mm. movie in the US. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty impressive. And I really loved the movie, uh, especially because it reminded me of some of, the, some of the Hitchcock films that I love the most. And again, Hitchcock pops mm-hmm. up inevitably, but yes. Yeah. Uh, for example, either Rope or Psycho, mm-hmm. um, where, where you would expect the, the, like, the mystery or maybe the solution to the mystery to come right at the end because there are thrillers, there's mystery film, the, the tension, how, how, come, uh, how can you like, keep the tension rising if you like spoil everything just right at the beginning and and that's how it works actually yeah. <laughs> like marion crane blown off like beginning of psycho rope you already know what's going to happen i mean because that's what had already happened um and that's the same logic that lupino uses in the hitchhiker and i found it brilliant basically um because like plot of the film in a nutshell might be that uh, there's uh, a killer who's escaped from prison and is going around for like pretty undetected reasons, actually. I mean, he's just a serial killer, right? That's <laughs> what serial killers do. He kills people. <laughs> um, and so he has beach, this hitchhiker figure and he hitchhikes, he fakes and hitchhiking move, let's say so, and then kills all the people in the car, robs them of the car, and then goes on to the next killing killing section um but so one time it doesn't happen like so because he needs to like move forward through mexico to escape u.s police and stuff um so he 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 um he gets in the car with two two friends who are going to have like um, a day out in the countryside something like that right mm-hmm. uh, and then the film gets more and more claustrophobic. Everything is shot in the, in the actual car. Uh, and the cinematography also adds to this idea of like imprisonment, right? Because um, it's, it's, it's a constant play on light and shadow, but in a very also natural way, like um, 
I think, of course, lighting, set lighting was used, but in, yeah, um, I, I won't, <laughs> uh, I won't say like uh, cinema verite stuff, but the, the impression was really naturalistic and I really like that. Um, and apart from maybe some bits at the end where everything kind of got, let's say, um, resolved very easily, maybe in a, in a, quick emotional way, a quick emotional turnaround maybe, but apart from that, tension was constantly rising and you can mm -hmm. feel that the characters are feeling the tension rising as well, but not only like the good ones who have been in prison, but also the hitchhiker himself. Yeah. They're going through changes uh, throughout the film. Um, and it's really, uh, it's really an intense experience actually, especially because it's such a concentrated film. It doesn't, it's not really long, right? Um, it's like hour and a half or something. Yeah, it's very compact, really. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. So yeah, this is my take on it. It's it's a brilliant work, brilliant mm -hmm. piece of work. Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying about the tension as it kind of as it rises. And what I love about about film like films like that is the premise, which is so simple, really. It's just about a serial killer who gets in a car with two people who are going somewhere, right? And all of a sudden, you just and as you said, it's just taking place in the car, and then we kind of see the landscape that they're going through and it's just incredible that the way you can you can kind of have an insight into the relationship between sorry trying to speak too quickly the relationship between the two guys who are imprisoned by the hitchhiker but also the relationship between the two guys and the hitchhiker right so it's just incredible and i think there's a scene towards maybe the end or kind of maybe halfway through where and also you kind of want it to be over soon because the tension is so unbearable <laughs> at times. But um, there's a scene where they are, I think they're already in Mexico, right? And they are going into a shop to get some cans yep. of like beans and stuff. And yeah, that is so tense. And there's not much dialogue going on because they kind of obviously need to translate between the hitchhiker and the, uh, the shopkeeper or whoever. And there's a child involved and you kind of don't know if someone's going to shoot or what's going to happen. And that is a very kind of palpable scene where you really don't know how things are going to go down. Um, yeah. And like, even just the little details of like the guys and trying to leave traces behind them so that people, so that the police will find them. Um, really interesting, really simple and great. Again, great casting. I mean, the hitchhiker was so convincing, yeah. you know, he was, he was brilliant. Um, <laughs> Yeah, totally on point. I agree yeah, with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you see the other, um, the bigger mess as well? Did you say that you saw that one as well? Yeah, I did. It's it's a it's a much different kind of movie from The Hitchhiker, but it's still very enjoyable as well. And Lupino plays one of the lead roles in there as well, which I always find it interesting when I when I see a director who's also starring in their own films. Because like I keep wondering, how do they how do they do so? <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, um, The Bigger Miss was much more, let's say, an approachable film in a way than The Hitchhiker. Very, not, not very lighthearted, but very much more lighthearted than The Hitchhiker. But it's also interesting because it's like a family drama with a twist. So it, it was like, it, it managed, in my opinion, to bring together... Uh, many elements from different film genres and it did so in a very brave in a very like beautiful and in a brilliant way so yeah definitely I'm looking forward to watching more stuff by Lupino actually <laughs> totally. and I think 
that's why Mubi is, I mean, I think I mention Mubi literally every time I'm on the podcast here, but Mubi is such a fantastic platform. And I think what they, they did now, they set up like a library as well. So if you, if you are a member or a subscriber, you get to access the library. So a lot of the films that you haven't seen, because obviously they're released, they're only there for 30 days. That was the case before. Now that a lot of them are moved into the library. I don't know if it's every film or just a selection, it's just a fantastic selection of different things and things you wouldn't be watching otherwise, or even, you know, showcasing directors like Lupino, who, as he said, especially in the fifties and sixties, it's kind of unbelievable that you know, as a, as a female director, she, and she did, I mean, I think she directed what seven, seven or 10 films. I mean, she didn't have a huge career, yeah, a good number but, of films, but yeah. she definitely did, um, did, did do something. So. <laughs> yeah it was not an isolated attempt of filmmaking that went well exactly. <laughs> she had a very consistent career and, exactly you so can actually yeah. talk about a career that is, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um well speaking about movie actually there was this film called emma that came mm-hmm. up and i do you know it, it's funny it was instagram that kind of pushed me to watch it because Instagram started giving me um, ads for movies. Oh, like, that's so boring. <laughs> it pissed me off so much. <laughs> but it did, it was like a 30 second clip off from, from that film. And I was like, okay, do you know what? I do have access to movies, so why not watch it? Um, so this is a Chilean drama by Pablo Lorraine. I probably got that pronunciation wrong. But it is about a young dancer who separates from her partner um, with whom she adapted adopted a kid called Polo and it's kind of difficult to talk about what what the film is about apart from that because it's a lot of just kind of there's a lot of dancing there's a lot of like fire (laughs) like just (laughs) fire and a lot of sex and it's a bit like I find a bit difficult to watch but it is just mesmerizing. There's something about it. It had such a punch to it that I remember when I, once I finished it. And, I, you know, sometimes when you put on a film in the first half hour, you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to finish this. Mm-hmm. And this time around, I was like, okay, let's just do this. And by the end of it, I was like, I was completely hooked. I was in the kind of, in the world of the film. And then days after, honestly, like for two weeks, I could not stop thinking about that film. Um, so I would just highlight it as something that was super interesting, fantastic soundtrack, the location where it was uh, filmed as well. It kind of adds to the dynamic of the film. Um, it's very dynamic. It's almost aggressive at times, um, but beautifully shot and very kind of um, kind of jittery almost. It feels like not that the, the way it was filmed was jittery, but in, in terms of the actual story, at times it was a bit tricky to piece together and um yeah you kind of felt like you're on edge because you don't really know what's going to happen and it wasn't the kind of typical linear storytelling at least at least in in my Mm -hmm. opinion um and then some other movie highlights were the lunchbox for me which again a super simple premise um about um this delivering meal delivering service in mumbai um a woman called Ila sends her lunch to her husband, but it doesn't actually deliver, doesn't get delivered to him, but to someone else. Um, and then they develop a relationship through leaving notes for each other. Um, this one actually features Ifan Khan, who passed away not that long ago as well. So, which is why I think Mubi actually featured it um, mm-hmm. that month. 
Um, yeah, so those were just some of the, you know, thanks to Mubia, otherwise I wouldn't have seen those, but they were really good picks. How about you? You have a few, few films? Um, yeah, so I haven't picked anything else uh, for podcast purposes out of movie, but that doesn't mean that I haven't been consistently watching movie for the past four months. <laughs> Actually, it's all the contrary, but <laughs> um, a very good film that, I've, that I watched recently was Bad Tales, uh, which is the Italian favolacce. Mm. Um, which won the 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 best the silver bear for best screenplay at the Berlinale this year back in March February I guess I can't remember when it's March or February but anyway um, so the directors of Bad Tales are actually um, proper shooting stars in Italy at the moment in fact they are very young they are minus thirty basically I think they are they are like twenty eight or something because they are twins so they have the same age. Um, and were born like around Rome. Uh, and they started making movies by, by themselves, basically. They were self-taught directors. Uh, this was like 2018. Yes, I think that was 2018. Their first movie came out and it was called, uh, in Italian, the title is La Terra dell'Abbastanza, which literally means the land of the enough. <laughs> so it's, it has that post-contemporary, neorealist vibe around it. It's something in between uh, Garone's Gomorrah and maybe Garone's Dogman as well. Some, something in between, um, which was a very brilliant, a really brilliant film. But it was very lively. It had a great pace. The cinematography was great as well. Um, so as a, as a cinematic debut, it was totally brilliant and they confirmed this this trend of like make, being able to make great movies with these bad tales um the story is quite different in fact it's not about poor working class people and dudes anymore it's just a uh, small town uh, again I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with small town things <laughs> it's, it's where all the the bad things about the human race came up in some, some way <laughs> it works like so so it's about this small town uh, near rome i guess however in the south, in the south oops sorry about that in the southernmost part of italy uh, and weird things start happening in that in that city then uh, a plot uh, is uncovered to basically murder someone from the from the village uh and and, and plot wise this is it because all that happens in the film doesn't really much add to the to development of the plot as it uh, again it creates kind of an atmosphere an atmosphere of almost of a big brotherly situation of obsessive control in a way and it all starts with the, the angles of the camera, with the, with the shots, which can be like from, from, up, from upwards to downwards, just like CCTV's camera and stuff like that. And also what I found really interesting about the film was that it was extremely sensorial in a way that you could really, I mean, uh, <laughs> they might have inserted that like in post-production for like the purposes of the film itself, but Again, we can't, we can't be sure about that. Um, so, for example, there's a beautiful shot in the countryside of two, and two of the characters are just sitting there, chilling, looking, looking at the sky, basically. 
And so silence, the, the, the scene is completely silent, but you can clearly hear in the background uh, the noise of an airplane flying overhead. And, and it was brilliant because it really gave you the feeling that you were in the scene with the characters. Um, and mind you, I'm talking about home screening because like this film was never released in cinemas in Italy up until beginning of July, I guess, but it was released exclusively online before. So I was watching this at home, but it was extremely good quality and extremely like, yeah, since, since so really participative in a way. Mm. Uh, so to anyone who has never seen anything from the, the brothers di Innocenzo, uh, who are the directors of both Bad Tales and the, the Land of the Enough, I would definitely recommend one of the uh, one of these two films because they they are the big thing in Italy right now. <laughs> like a hundred percent. I had this kind of feeling as well with another films I, I watched recently, and that is the the latest film by uh, Justin Quartel, uh, the True History of the Kelly Gang. Uh, so I got to know Quartel quite recently uh, at uni, basically, because we had a screening a screening of. Uh, his Macbeth, which came out in 2015. So even if I didn't love Kurtz's Macbeth, it got me interested in the figure of the director. And so I was, I was literally overjoyed when I was watching The True History of the Kelly Gang and I realized that he, he, he was being able to do something that he, that he couldn't really pull off in Macbeth. He was able to, to like fulfill his vision in a way, I guess. So... The, the film is uh, a meat pie western, which is something I wasn't like used to before, but apparently meat pie westerns are the Australian version of US westerns. So you can have spaghetti western in Italy, but you can have meat pie westerns in oh. Australia. And the plot is basically the story of outlaw Ned Kelly and the Kelly gang, of course. And they have to, to, withstand, to withstand both uh, threats from the local police, which is like colonial police, because we're talking here 1900 Australia, uh, but also the threats from other gangs, because they're, they're not the only gang around in the Australian bush, of course. And it's totally brilliant, because I wasn't expecting that from a Western, to be fair. Uh, it's very, I hate using this adjective, but I just want to, to convey the feeling of it to, to, to the audience of the podcast. So it's very postmodern. I hope no one ever hears this again from, from me. But yeah, that, that was the overall feeling of that, especially uh, because of the interplay of many different elements, such as the, uh, there was punk music, punk rock music in it. And of course, we were in the 1900s. And that was very, that was an outstanding element. Uh, that was um, that that was like deployed and to create this whole atmosphere of epic challenge in a way, which which was also the atmosphere of Macbeth, and also uh, he selects bodies very carefully. Uh, for instance, Ned Kelly here is played by George Mackay, but then he plays around with the bodies of the actors as well because like he starts from the physical appearance of let's say George Mackay, which is pretty skinny but also very good looking that's my opinion about that uh but then he can have these very fierce very bright eyes at the same time and then he paints him all over with black like coalish stuff um 
he has his characters cross-dressing basically and that's extremely modern and extremely not modern at the same time i mean of course if you were a bandit and you didn't want to be recognized by someone else maybe you would dress like a woman if you were a man so that's so obvious but that's so groundbreaking nowadays <laughs> so the this film is full of elements that I fell in love with. So mm. I feel like I should recommend it 100%. I've been trying to, to watch more animated movies as well. What with like, for example, Ghibli studio films being fully uploaded on Netflix. So for example, I watched Totoro. Um, I, I did a rewatch of Spirited Away, which is always, which is always great. <laughs> you can always learn something from that film. Uh, but at the same time, I have to admit that I've been concentrating much more on another um, uh, director of Japanese director of anime, uh, who sadly was because he passed away some years ago. Um, but his name was Kon Satoshi. So I've been watching Millennium, Millennium Actress by him, but also Paprika and the Tokyo Godfathers. He really, he really likes to play around with the idea of reflected image as, 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 as for in a mirror or just basically taking the, the screen the, of the TV or the laptop, the cinema screen as well, the, the silver screen itself as a counterpart for everything that the characters in the, in the films are experiencing in a way. And at the same time, he, he manages to break the, the, the infamous fourth wall, so to say. So you as viewer are fully, um, fully taken into the, the mechanism, so to say. And what I really enjoy about his films is that you can never be totally sure of what's actually going on <laughs> because it's like, it's such a nice box of dreams and, and everything you can, you, you can think of. And that's what literally happens in Paprika, where the plot is based around a uh, cyber attack, cyber war, basically. But then you have to win the war by winning the dream in a way. Um, so, yeah, it's very... It's really great. I like that. I really want to get more into animation. And, and you mentioned um, Ghibli Studios, obviously. And uh, I've never really been into it. Like, it's, that's a genre of filmmaking that I was never really attracted to and never really tried it out. And then I watched Princess Mononoke uh, one afternoon and I was blown away. Definitely an mm -hmm. area to, to explore. Okay, so that's the end of your list. Had, <laughs> I want to mention a few films very briefly just because I think they're worth a mention if anyone's looking for um, things to watch. So I caught up on Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I know that that was in, in the cinema um, a while back, but I just completely missed it. Beautiful, beautiful film. I mean, yeah. it's hard to explain how beautiful that is. I would just say that it's a very kind of slow film that's very observant critics mentioned female gaze a lot when it comes to this film and i think for me what female gaze especially in this case means is just this kind of non-violent kind of not non-interruptive gaze when it comes to scenes where you know you have nudity you have sex but it's not this kind of purposeless thing it's not like oh we're just gonna use this cheap reason so that we can put in a kiss or a bit of a boob mm -hmm. or something, you know, it's not like that at all. It's very gentle and I say it's just very observant. So that's definitely like one of the best films I think I've seen this year. And then we have Pain and Glory. Uh, great movie as well. Great movie as well. Um, 
again, very interesting combination of flashbacks and kind of vignettes from the past and, uh, you know, combination of that and the present. And also Antonio Banderas, I think, was fantastic in this film. I mean, I haven't really seen that much of his work. I only know him from The Mask of Zorro. I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but that was very popular on telling like, yeah. <laughs> I can raise my hand. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from Italy, that was very popular. Right? Well. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think it's all about Mediterranean countries, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then I also watched Emma, um, the film based on the uh, Jane Austen book. Uh, fantastic cast. Uh, I was maybe expecting a bit more from that film. It was, it was mm. very pleasant, but maybe just didn't have that punch that I was expecting but best performance was given by Bill Nye who, who plays a character who's constantly hounded by drafts and it's just <laughs> it's just great I feel like if they didn't put that in it really it would be worth <laughs> watching but his performance with this kind of lanky very awkward body I mean you talked about you know focusing on, on different bodies before and I think this is a very different example but just fantastic yeah. And uh, I actually wanted to mention one more series, and that's Big Little Lies. Um, the second season came out, oh, I think, a while back now. But I don't know why people don't talk about this show a bit more, because I think it's fantastic. Cinematography on point, cast phenomenal. And the story, I mean, it's a hard watch. It's not like easy peasy. And especially the first season is very triggering, I think, for people there's a lot of abuse going on, kind of toxic relationships. Second season is, I think, less intense, but equally as hard to watch. Um, and it's just, again, it kind of takes place in this little town somewhere in like North America. Um, it's about people who are very rich and then some people, you know, there's a lot of loss going on, whether it's loss of people, loss of money. Um, but again, very raw, very real, very kind of contemporary look at just, you know, normal issues that we all have, whether we are rich or not. So, and how people <laughs> deal with it, especially. But it, there's a very big focus on women, especially, especially which I, I love. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think that wraps up that literally exhaust the list that we had. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Elisa, for chatting to me for an hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> it's been great hearing your selection and what you're into and what you've been enjoying um i hope whoever is listening can just like maybe pick a few and give it a go and see what they think i mean most of these films were either available on what netflix movie or maybe yeah widely available let's say yeah 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 so thank you so much for talking to me oh thank you so much i really enjoyed this <laughs> thank you